welcome to Brothers on the Board, the podcast where we become better teachers together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Brothers on the Board, the podcast where we help teachers find peace and fulfillment in their careers. My name's John. This is my brother, Wes. And today, I think we have got an episode that will be useful to so many teachers, especially teachers who are are new to the field or maybe aren't having the year that they want to have. So today's episode, we are talking about resetting expectations in the classroom when things aren't going so so hot. So, Wes, how's it going today, man? It's going great. I'm on break still, loving that, but ready to get back to it and, you know, work on those resetting uh, expectations that we have. Yeah, so like when, I think what happens is during the first part of the year, right, you start the, the school year and you've got a couple of months there where things are really kind of being established, right? That first month of school means so much for a teacher because if you mess that first month up, things really, excuse me, things really go south in a hurry, right? They they really don't, it really doesn't go well. Um, so that's the goal here is looking at when you've messed that first part up and when things have gotten out of control in the room or at least you feel like you're losing control where things just aren't going the way you want them to, what are some things that we can do to try to uh, bring everything back together? And and we're looking at this more from a classroom expectation in terms of behavior, um, behavior expectation more than anything, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think it's, it's important that we tell the people that, you know, we are drawing from quite a bit of experience. Uh, I'm, I'm in year six now of teaching. Um, what, what year are you in again? I'm in year 12. Um, so, you know, we've, we've been around for at least I've I've especially been around for a minute. You know, I've, I've been at three different schools. I've taught at my current school now for nine, 10 years, uh, been a minute. Uh, so, I mean, we, we come at this from two different perspectives as well, right? In, In that we don't teach at the same school. And our school have very, schools have very different demographics. Absolutely. Yes, they do. Um, I, I teach in a little bit more rural uh, uh, school and you're more uh, urban city. So, uh, yeah. you know, I think that those demographics will definitely play a role in how we manage our classrooms and the, and the tools that we use. You know, we obviously have access to some different yeah. uh, things there. So... It's going to be interesting to see the differences between our classrooms. So whenever you're ready, I'm ready. All right. So we've asked each other to come up with three different uh, kind of reset buttons, things that we can do to hopefully change the course of our classroom and change the way that it operates, hopefully to, to get a desired result. And we have not looked at each other's list we're just hoping that we're not overlapping each other uh so but but it, it it allows us to kind of comment and discuss and try to hopefully you know add to the conversation for what each other has to say about it so i'm gonna let you go first as always and you're gonna tell me what's one thing 
that you do when things aren't going so hot and the classroom is getting a little out of hand or you, you really need to try to reestablish those expectations of what you want from the students, what's one thing that you do to make a big difference? All right. So I think that, um, you know, it, Something that I've started to realize uh, in my years of teaching is time everything. That That's going to be my first one. Uh, you know, everything needs to be timed on a timer. Students do not realize if you don't tell them, you know, how much time is needed for a task, they have a very difficult time managing that. That is time management is a huge issue uh, since I teach middle school, uh, seventh grade. So timing every single thing you know um we start out with our warm-up uh you know a lot of people call it a bell ringer five minutes on the board you got five minutes to complete the bell ringer i'm moving on after five minutes uh you know we have an activity uh after that 10 minutes and and really chunking those activities and making them short small activities so that students don't lose focus um, I know for me, if I say, you know, I have a task to do like uh, cleaning a house, right? Like when I clean my house, it's the exact same issue where I'm like, oh, I got to clean this house. I have hours to do it and I get overwhelmed. I'm, it's the same way. So I've kind of applied that idea of timing everything. So, you know, with my house, I'm going to do 30 minutes in this room, 30 minutes in this room, 30 minutes in this room and chunking those so that those tasks don't seem as overwhelming. Uh, especially in science where I teach, like we do a lot of projects and the kids can't really, um, if you just say, Hey, I need you to, um, you know, run an experiment to, uh, build a prototype for a, um, uh, bottle rocket or something like that. They, they don't know how to do all those tasks. So breaking it up into small little tasks and timing it is key to making sure that your classroom is, you know, running smoothly, I think. No, I agree with you. And, you know, I, I was going to add in the, the chunking thing there before you added it in, but yeah, I 100% agree that you keep things short and manageable. And, you know, you, you mentioned having hours to, to clean the house, right? And, and I'm the same way. It's like, okay, I've got, like on this Christmas break, right? Like you have two weeks, week and a half, whatever, you know, your, your district has. It's like, oh my God, I've got all this time. I'm going to clean the house. I'm going to do all these things. And then you play video games for like seven straight days. <laughs> and it's like, oh man, like it, it makes it easy to procrastinate, right? Like when you have an unlimited amount of time and no one holding you accountable, especially that's when you, you tend to, to procrastinate, right? Um, so if you tell students like, here's four things you need to do over the course of the next 45 minutes, that's more difficult for them than saying, here's the first thing you need to do. You have 15 minutes. Here's the next thing you need to do. You have, you know, 10 minutes, whatever. And breaking, making sure that they, you break those four things down. Mm -hmm. Right. So yeah, absolutely. I agree. Okay. My first one. And, and this is man, my first year of teaching at my current school, I come in, I, I walk into, uh, a co-teacher's classroom. Well, not a co-teacher, but a partner teacher, whatever. And I walk into her room and, and she's numbering her desks. You know, she's going around, she's taping numbers onto her desks. And I'm, I'm just like making fun of her at this point. Right. I'm like, what is this? Like, it's a prison. Like I'd never seen this before. And it's like, why are you, why are you like numbering desks for, you know, I was, I was going to be that cool teacher. It's just like, Hey, come on in guys, you know, sit where you want. 
you know, don't worry about it. It's all good. Let me tell you, dude, the next year, the second year of teaching, the first thing I did is I'm walking around, I'm like putting numbers on every desk. Mm -mm. Not this time, bro. I'm putting numbers on everything. Um, so my first one is seating charts and numbering the desks. Now, why numbering the desks? What's, what's the purpose of it? What's the point? The point is that it makes it so much easier to create seating charts and to talk to students about their seat, right? Instead of saying, oh, you're in that seat right there. No, third one back. No, on that. No, not that one. The next one, right? It's easier to say you're in desk 13, right? And it's also easier when you have a sub or anything like that, that you have a seating chart with numbers and everything associated with it. Um, seating charts are, in my opinion, probably the most important thing that you can establish right off, well, maybe not necessarily right off the bat because you're trying to learn names and everything else, but th it is a very, very important uh, kind of step to getting your classroom in the right. So let's say things haven't been going well so far, right? And you're like, okay, classroom's a little out of hand. You know, things aren't going the way I want it to go. The first thing that I would do is I would change the seats. Now, I don't just mean where they sit. I would say that maybe even consider changing the arrangement of the classroom. Because when they walk in, you know what I, you know what I mean? Like when students walk in and they see the seats are changed, they're like, whoa. You, like they stop like three steps into the door and they just stand there and just look around. Like they're like, oh man, he, this is different. Like this, this man means business today. Like something's changed, right? And that's what you want is you want that change. Um, you want that kind of weird, I don't know, shock factor to where it, it changes the feel of the room. Because right now, the feel of the room for, for students is not the feel you want them to have, right? Um, you're, you're wanting to, 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 to change the dynamic of the room. Um, so, yes, absolutely. Setting, seating, or uh, changing your seating chart, changing where students seat, and sticking to it is uh, the biggest thing. Um, when students move on you, because they're going to do it, especially if you've not been very strict all year with seating charts, they're going to move around on you and they're going to test you to see how, how stern are you going to be with this seating chart, right? And you cannot let that happen. Like they come in, they're like, Hey, can I sit next to something? No. And right now, no, you can't. <laughs> like I, I'm going to stick to this like glue uh, and make sure that everyone understands that, you know, this is the one, this is the thing that we're focused on right now. So what's your, what's your experience with seating charts and how do you feel uh, uh, about them you know i have been victim to the to the same thing you have where i'm going to be the cool teacher i'm going to let them sit where they want and uh you know it, yeah. it doesn't it just doesn't make for the professional setting that we want in in a classroom uh, you know it, it's a little too relaxed um so i agree uh now with numbers i don't number my desks um instead i have jobs for each seat uh i have numbers for my tables mm -hmm. so i have clusters of four and um, i number the table table one two three four but then i have jobs within it so like each of mine are like um, a business each table it create they the students create their own business and that's their business for the term mm -hmm. And so they'll be like accountant for table four or uh, engineer for table three. Um, so, I mean, it's just another yeah. way of doing it, another way of, of uh, labeling it. 
So I completely agree with that. And I am actually guilty of changing seating seats a little too much uh, where I change the arrangements of my desks a lot because we're doing projects. We're doing different stuff. Uh, you know, when we're having tests, I usually like to move them. Uh, and I have found that I overdo it sometimes. Uh, and the students lose that because like part of teaching obviously is consistency, right? We want the students to feel a bit of consistency in the classroom. And I have been known in the past to change my seating charts around so much that it actually brings a little bit of chaos with it where the students are just, they come in every day thinking things are going to be a little different. Um, so there is a level of consistency that you need with that, but I agree 100%. You need seating charts. And I would even argue, like you said at the beginning of the year, maybe not because you're learning names, I feel like the seating chart at the beginning of the year is essential because it helps you know those names, helps you remember those names and where they sit. So um, I think even out of the gate, even if you don't know these students, I would make a seating chart. I do it every year. And that just sets that expectation in that classroom where they know that they are going to sit in that that seat, right? There's never a moment where they, oh, like they'll be like, oh, I, uh, you let me sit here one day or you let me move one day, or you didn't have a seating chart at one yeah. time. No, I've had a seating chart this whole time, and I've been very consistent with it, right? And I think consistency is key there, so. Thank you. Yeah, so let me, I want to clarify two things, actually. I'm glad you brought that up. So um, first thing, yeah, uh, with the, the groups, right? So like currently in my classroom, we have groups of four, and yeah, we have the groups numbered, group one, group two, group three, and we have the same situation roles within those groups, right? Um, I know that certain classrooms have work in different ways, you know, but if you ever seats in rows, obviously numbering them will work, but um, yeah, it's just a different system for doing it. So yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, the next thing, now when I, when I say seating chart at the beginning of the year, um, I guess what I meant by that was intentional seating in in, instead of like alphabetical order. So what I will do at the beginning of the year, and I should have clarified this, is I'll put them in alphabetical. So yeah, I have a seating chart. It's just that Right now, my seating chart has nothing to do with what, you know, alphabetical order of your name. Now it has to do with, I'm going to take these four students and pair them together because I know that they, they can work well together. Like they're not best buddies in that they're going to sit and play the whole time, but they're not like mortal enemies <laughs> to where they're going to fight with each other the entire time. Right? It's like, oh no, you've put me with my, <laughs> my worst enemy. Like, it's not that kind of thing. Um, so like, yeah, you're, you're right. You do need a scene chart, I think at the beginning, just to kind of help learn names. And that's what we always tell them, right? It's like, I need to know, like, you ever have that, that problem where like, I know your name when you're in my class at the beginning of the year and you're sitting in your seat. But as soon as you get in the hallway, it's just like, you did like your, your, your identity completely changed. I have no clue who you oh, are Oh, dude, like, I am the worst with names. Like, I am awful with names. But And, like, as soon as they leave that, that door, like, it, I'm like, I think I know. But uh, I always hit them with the trick where I'm like, what's your last name? <laughs> do that. Or, or, or I'll look at the, um, I'll look at their laptop, like their, uh, their Chromebook. It's got their name on the top of it. I'll look at that. Or I'll say, how do you spell your name? <laughs> I'll do that one too. How do you spell your name? Like, and then they'll start spelling it. I'm like, oh, no, that's <laughs> yeah, I've done that yeah, one before yeah, too. That's, that's another one that yeah, I hit them with. Yeah, that's a good one. That's always a good one. You ever have the kid that you call them by the wrong name for like two months and they never say anything to you and then finally you hear another kid say their name you're like, wait a minute. 
have I been calling you the wrong name? And they're like, yeah, I decided I didn't want to correct you. And I'm like, I mean, you get two types of kids, right? You get the ones that get really offended, like just completely mad when you mispronounce their name or you call them the wrong name. And then you have the kid that just doesn't say anything. They just roll with it. <laughs> like, it's like, what do you mean your name's this? I've been calling you David all year, <laughs> right? Like, it's like, yeah, it's let me, let me yeah. know. Let me know. I'm calling you I've done that many times. So, all right. Seating charts, uh, done and dusted. I, I do agree. Oh, pro tip. If you are going to, to number your desks or you're going to put, uh, you know, I know we used to do like the jobs kind of like you were talking about. We would put like a triangle or a circle or a sh we would put a shape or something on the desk that showed like this is the job. So if you're a square, then you're like the engineer or whatever, right? Or if you're a triangle, then you're the group facilitator, whatever. No one wants to be the square. Uh, I mean... Where my squares I, 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 at? I it, I like, Where the, who's the squares in the room? Um, so one thing that I will say is putting your 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 little um, sticker or whatever that you're putting on the 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 seat, put it on the back of the chair. Don't put it on the desk. Because what happens when you put it on the desk? I know exactly what happens. It gets peeled up. <laughs> it gets picked it gets apart destroyed. over the course of the next few days or they draw they colored it with like a pencil or a pen they just sit and and they don't even realize they do, they do it and i'll be honest there's been times where i've been sitting in my own room talking to teachers and i'm sitting there picking at it like it's just hard not to do so yeah putting it on the back of the seat to where it's still visible you can still find it but you're just not compelled to sit there and just pluck it off is is something that I think is is useful unless you feel like man just scraping those things off and trying to restick them every week and a half right like unless you want to do that put unless on the that's back. your thing all right yeah and you're like all right baby time to replace <laughs> the stickers again all right number two well for you your second one we got all right that. so my second one uh i think you know going off my first one timing everything uh, i think it's you know you have to communicate very clearly exactly what you expect from students uh so voice level uh is a huge one that i think you need to definitely focus on at the beginning of the year i'm talking every activity those small activities that i'm telling you about voice level along with every single one of them what i do is i always have like a, a slideshow on the board it has a link to a timer uh, it has what the activity is going to be that day the description for the activity and then it also has the voice level you know zero one two um with every single one of them i'm talking every bell ringer we do even if it's five minutes long level zero you're not talking during this time i want to know what you know don't want to know what the people next to you want to know so being very clear and and very intentional about having those voice levels and for those of you that may not have heard of voice levels you know some of our uh, newer teachers maybe um and i know some people do it a little differently uh depending on the place but i always do zero is no talking you are quiet you're working on your own independent work uh one is at a whisper you know you're talking to your group but i shouldn't be able to hear you as i'm walking around the room um is how I always communicate that to the students. And then two, uh, which we don't do that often, is usually like for presenters or someone who is talking to the entire class uh, is how I've always done it. 
So uh, we usually sit around that one range, you know, talking in our groups quietly, trying not to talk over top of people. Um, obviously, you have 30 plus kids in the room, so it's going to get loud um, and just reminding them over and over, hey, remember voice level one, I shouldn't be able to hear your conversation over top of everyone else. Um, I think that is very essential in um, managing a classroom is setting the expectations of the noise. Cause we all know, you know, you, you, you start an activity cause we've all been guilty of it at some point where we're like, all right, you all are doing, you know, whatever this worksheet uh, or you're doing uh, whatever activity is. And it starts out silent and the kids start looking around and then they start talking and then it starts getting louder and louder because you didn't set that expectation because they don't know what to, what to expect. And then at the end, it's just like chaos. Like it's just, everyone is like yelling. It just slowly builds over time. Uh, So just making sure you're very clear on that. I think what happens is like they, so initially it starts out and, and it's fine. But then like, once one person gets a little too loud, now you can't hear what the person next to you is saying. So you get louder or whatever. And, and it just kind of spirals out of control. And I, I will add to that in terms of, you know, making sure that, you know, you're talking about noise level. You can't make assumptions that seventh graders or, or, or just students in general know what you want. Right. It's easy for us to look at it and say, okay, if you're, if you're being a good student, this is what it should look like in our head, right? We, we know what we want in our head. And then sometimes we think that students should know that. And then we, we watch for it and it doesn't happen. And we're like, what, what's, what are you doing? Like, this is not what I want, but they don't know what you want. So you have to be very, you have to be very um, explicit with your directions. So like, we use a thing called champs and I know a lot of schools use champs, um, conversation, help, assignment, movement, and participation. So before we do any kind of activity, we try to champ that activity. What is the conversation level? What do you do if you need help? Right? Those are the types of things that you do so that they understand that this is the expectation for this specific assignment, right? And, uh, making sure that we, we follow through on that. But yeah, noise level, definitely something, um, something to focus on. I do want to ask you though, I do want to ask you this. Have you ever been in a room like 20, 25 teachers at a, at a professional development? Teachers are the worst students. <laughs> it, it amazes me. It amazes me how you'll be in a room with like 20 some teachers and it'll be like really loud in a room. And it's like, man, we spent all day yelling at kids to be quiet, keep it down or whatever. And we are like as loud as they are. Right. Um, but I mean, it just kind of, it, and it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it just shows that when you have 30 people in a room talking, it gets loud. Right? It can get loud. Um, getting that, that perfect level one is hard, right? Getting, I can, dude, I can give you a three kids all screaming i can give you a zero everybody's dead quiet getting that perfect productive conversation level of volume with a 30 12 years old 12 year olds is tough um and it's but it's something to strive for it's something you just keep working at you keep finding ways to try to remind them and and um you know put out small fires when things are getting a little too loud per group or whatever you know 
there's there's ways and we'll continue to, to discuss this and ways that you can do that um but definitely noise level is something to and i on. even know teachers who have uh, like a, a um sound meter they'll put it up on the board and like if the sound meter gets too high uh, the, the students know they're getting too loud uh and, and that's that's something that's always been kind of fun I've, I've thrown that out a few times yeah, I've I've seen that before. Um, I've messed around with it a little bit, but I've never really kind of. The question I think becomes: What happens when it gets too loud, right? So, I mean, you could put it up there and just say, "Well, you know, this is so you are aware of how loud you're being," and hopefully, maybe you can you can use your group leaders as a, a your facilitators as a way of doing this and saying, "Hey, group leaders, you need to be aware of the." The volume and you need to be keeping track of that or whatever and if you see that it's too loud you need to just remind your group hey guys we're being a little too loud you know we need to bring it down a little bit uh and just kind of putting that as one of the roles in within the, the context of the group um that could be something um of course there's always the hey you know we're our classes we've got a point system right and you know you get you lose a point if you um, if you guys get into the red up here or something like that, of course, you got that one kid that's going to scream at some point and set that thing off. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's always a tool. It's always something that you can look at trying and, and seeing how it goes. All right. My next one, my number two, pick one thing, pick one thing and build from there. Now, what do I mean by that? What I mean is if your classroom is in complete disarray and you know and, and the teachers that are listening to this who who are in this situation they know what i'm talking about when you're on your way to work and you're like ah, just you're nervous you're just you have this feeling kind of fear of the unknown you're you're in the classroom and you get this kind of burning feeling in your face where it's like things feel like they're getting out of control kids are out of their seats you, you know, things have really went south, right? If you're in that situation where it's like, I have so many things wrong that I'm struggling to, to fix everything, right? I would say pick one thing and really focus on that one thing until you get that down and then move on to something else. Instead of saying, I want to come in here today and just have an immaculate classroom where everything runs completely autonomously. It's just, it's fantastic, Instead of saying that, come in and say, today, I'm going to make sure that everyone is in their assigned seat and that they're sitting down. Like, that's, that's it. That is that is the goal. Now, yeah, I'm going to teach. Yeah, I'm going to go through my lesson. Um, it's just that that is my absolute non-negotiable today, and that is what I am heavily focused on. And they need to understand that if you know, you're not going to sit in this seat, then we're going to have problems right? There's going to be issues. Like you, you, that is the one thing that I'm focused on today. Once students realize that, oh, wait, this is, you know, he or she, they mean business by this. I'm going to, I'm going to stay in my seat, right? Once you get that down, then you can kind of move into, well, now I'm going to move into noise level, or I'm going to move into movement, uh, around the room, which is, I mean, similar, I guess, to, to seating or, um, rigor of of instruction whatever like i'm going to focus this is my goal and then i'm going to slowly build from there and then maybe in a week or two you kind of get things sort of where you want it to be right 
what do you think about this this idea of kind of focusing on on certain things oh i i love it um you know that's something you're not going to be perfect at every single thing you know all the time uh so making sure that you are intentional about one thing at a time will definitely help not to say that we're going to just completely ignore all the other stuff uh, but our main no, focus no. is, is on this one, one thing, right? Um, so I, I definitely agree. And I've been known to, even in the past, especially I started this probably two years ago or something, uh, where, you know, at the beginning of the year and then going back after break, I'm going to start, uh, doing it again, where when a class ends, I usually will tell them like one, all right, we did this really well today. Like you all did a really well, really good job. And I will find something. I mean, even if it's, you know, you all did a a, a really good job of walking through the door this morning. Like, even if that's the only thing I can find, right. But I find something good and then Mm -hmm. I'm all right. But here's something we can work on for tomorrow. Our class's focus is this, right. We're going to focus on this tomorrow. Uh, You all, you know, we were kind of loud today. Tomorrow we're going to try better. Uh, we're going to focus on that. So I think very, very important to hit a positive and and you know then throw in the what we can work on. Um, yeah. So that that's uh, something that I've done um, in my classroom. So I definitely agree. Uh, focus on one thing at a time because it's again I get overwhelmed. I don't I, you know I, and I think a lot of people do that. There's just so much that a teacher has to do. You know. Yeah, you're juggling. You are, yeah, juggling so many different things. And it's it's very nice to be like, all right, I'm going to focus on this one thing. And that's what I'm going to focus on. So. Yeah. And, you know, I think that that's a, that's a good point to raise in that what I have found, and I know that this really is teacher dependent, and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of opinions about this. But what I have found is that positive reinforcement to, for me, works better than negative reinforcement. And, and what I mean by that is, Okay, I, I want to use Class Dojo as an example. Okay, um, so Class Dojo, it, for those people who have never used it, you, know, you can give positive points and it makes a really, you know, kind of a loud dinging sound in the room. Or you can give negative points and it has this really kind of obnoxious like sound that goes off in the room. Um, what I have found is that giving positive points creates a, mo- a better effect on the room than negative points. So... What happens is when I, when you give a negative point, and I'm not saying that you should never give them because I think it's important because it, it creates a lot of data and things that you can look at and to see what students are doing and stuff like that. But when you give a negative point, everyone looks at, if you have it up on the screen or something like that, everyone, the first thing everyone does is look around to see who it was and why they got it. It ends up becoming a little bit of a distraction, but if you give a positive point, then everyone immediately thinks oh he's looking for for people that are doing what they should do now i can get a positive point right and they start doing kind of their work or whatever that it gets them back on task just from hearing the the dinging sound um the same thing can be said with narrating you know uh, if i'm trying to get people's attention on me and people a lot of people are talking or whatever it is sometimes i'll say okay i'm looking for people who are looking at me all right i see one i appreciate it two people three Four, thank you. And as I'm counting them, you can see everyone starting to look at me one at a time until everyone's looking at me, right? This is something I think is really useful. So yeah, pointing out things that students are doing well typically works in my experience better than pointing out 
the things that people are doing poorly. Yeah, you ever have the, like, you give a consequence, like the dojo, and it makes the noise, and then everyone in the room is like, ooh, and you're like, oh, yeah. you're like, no, that's, that was not my intention, but now, now I have yeah. to give a consequence to everyone, because, like, you're all yeah. off task now, like. Then, then you hit that select all button, <laughs> bro, it's like negative 30, everybody. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I think we're on your number three. We are, right? yes, yes. My number All three, right, my number final three. one. Go ahead. So going off of, again, I, I feel like I've kind of went off the same kind of thing here, and, and basically it's how I structure my like PowerPoint, the, the students see, um, just being very clear on my instructions, uh, and telling them what it looks like to complete a task. Uh, I feel like that is a very, you know, easy thing for us, again, like you said before, for us to expect the students to know what it looks like, um, but not always the case, right? Like, and I'm talking very detailed. Where do you turn this assignment in at? Are you turning it in online? Are you turning it in, uh, you know, I know a lot of people use technology. Some people still use paper. I sometimes will do a paper assignment as well. Where are you putting it? Are you putting it in a bin? Are you putting it on my desk? Is someone coming around and collecting it? Uh, you know, what are you, what does a uh, exemplary example of this assignment look like? and giving them an, an idea of what it looks like. Cause then I know I've had in my classroom when it comes to hitting the reset button and chaos, a lot of it comes from the assignment itself. Uh, you know, a lot of the times it'll be a difficult assignment. I wasn't clear in my instructions. Students just give up because if they don't know what yes. they're doing, well, I mean, I'm going to, I'm just going to start talking to my friend. I'm going to start avoiding the task. I'm going to do something goofy to get some people to laugh, you know? Um, and, and that, that's the case. Uh, I find if I don't give examples on the board of what it looks like, what I'm, what I'm expecting, this is what my answer is. Now, obviously I'm not giving them like an answer key <laughs> or something like that, but you know, yeah. if we're doing a written response, we do a lot of written responses, Here's what the written response looks like. That's a four right, on a rubric. Um, uh, yeah. Just so you have an idea of what it looks like. Uh, or, you know, here's how you complete this task. Um, I think is very, very important. And being very clear in every instruction of, of that to completion. What do you think? Well, we're continuing this theme of, you you know, students will can only do what you want when they know what you want. Right. And you can't make the assumption that they know what you want because it's easy to forget that they're 12 or 13 or eight or whatever age they are. Right. Um, it's easy to forget that. So, no, absolutely. I think having uh, exemplary examples of an assignment, I think that having rubrics and, and going through those rubrics. Now, for me, it's a little different. Uh, well, not necessarily different, but I, I would say in some ways it's easier. You know, we I'm an English teacher. Right. So we do. Uh, a lot of essays and it's like having students grade example essays using the rubric so they understand how the rubric works and what their assignment should look like because when students understand what they're doing and they understand the expectation then they're going to work better they're going to be they're going to follow expectations better because you're right 
when they don't understand, that's when they start acting up in a lot of cases. And for us, you know, if you've, if you have a day and we all have these days where you go in and it's like bell one, awful, hmm, makes fuel adjustments, you know, bell two, terrible, bell three, terrible. And it's just the whole day just does not go well. You know, that may be a day where you look at what you did that day, the assignment, and you say, you know what? Maybe it's me. You know, maybe it's me. Maybe it's the assignment. Maybe it's, you have to, you have to consider that, um, in that maybe you weren't clear with the directions or maybe the assignment was too difficult. You know, maybe it was the, the, um, the directions weren't clear, whatever it was. So yeah, absolutely. I agree with you. All right. Moving on to my number three, and I think the last mm -hmm. one, and, uh, I'm going to, and I was going to talk about positive reinforcement a little bit, but I've already discussed that just a tad. Uh, I'm going to say this, try not to rely on raising your voice and try to make sure you don't make threats that you can't follow through on. You know where I'm I going know with that? exactly where you're going with that. Yes. Yeah. So you have some teachers who you just hear them all the time. You know, they're, they just yell constantly. Um, and what happens is when you are constantly raising your voice, it becomes white noise eventually for students. They, they, they just start ignoring it. Right. And, and basically it is no longer effective. Now you're just the teacher that yells. It doesn't, it, they just ignore it. You also have to realize that for a lot of students, you know, they have parents who are constantly yelling at them anyway. That's what they're used to for a lot of students, not all of them, for, but for a lot of students. That's, that's just the home they come from. That's what they're used to. Um, so giving them a, an adult in their life where you are a rational, reasonable adult, um, it, I think is important. Now, am I saying never raise your voice? No, that is not what I'm saying. There are times where you need to get everybody's attention or where it's, you know, rare examples. I will say in the last like two or three years, I have raised my voice and yelled at a class like two times in the last like two or three years. And, uh, and I will be honest, both times I regretted it. Both times at the, after that bell, I looked back and was like, man, I lost my cool, right? I, I lost my temper, right? But I will say this, they were chill after that because they know that I'm a very, very calm person and that I'm very laid back. And if I get very frustrated, if I'm, if I'm raising my voice, I'm, you know, things are serious right now. We, I, I need to stop, right? Because that's just not me. Um, but I will say definitely, you know, keep an eye on your voice level. What do you think about that? Uh, I can, I completely agree with that, you know, uh, and I'm a loud person to begin with. Like uh, there's been times where my teacher that like my, uh, one of my coworkers that wor works near me, she'll be like, Hey, we could hear you today. Like we heard your whole lesson, like through the wall, <laughs> cause I'm just extremely loud. Yeah. Um, so I just, you know, it, I think it's with me since I am so loud, it's about tone, uh, making sure that that yeah, tone I'm changes. I'm glad you mentioned that because I, some people are just loud people. Now, and I don't mean loud people. Okay. I mean, yelling and screaming and when you're frustrated, yeah. not, 
it's the way yeah, you talk. Yeah, I know exactly right. what you mean. So, yeah, so just focusing on that tone. But, yeah, I agree. And, you know, I think that I, we have all had that those students come back from, like, another class and they're like, oh, that, you know, that, all all that teacher does is yell, and you don't want to be that teacher. Yeah. You don't want to be that person. Uh, I'm like, do they do they talk about me like that? <laughs> like, I'm sure they do. Of course they do. I'm sure I'm the teacher. I'm that... like, well, I know you guys are really <laughs> talking about me. So, um, I agree, and I think that the big one, like you said, I want to add to is not making false promises with consequences right do not get into a struggle uh with a student over like a power struggle right we like to call it a power struggle with a student and and you know the quickest way to completely ruin your credibility and completely ruin your classroom is to make a threat that you cannot follow through with right yes um absolutely so just that is that is number if one anyone else, if anyone else in this class talks i'm giving all of you an after school detention or something like that. And like, you know, that, you know, as well as everyone in the room, like you're not going to call every parent and schedule every one of those detentions or whatever, unless you are serious, like you're really going to do it. You, you've got to be careful what you say in terms of what you're, you're going to do. Now, I'm not saying that some teachers won't, I know that some teachers will definitely do that, but um, if you're going to say something, you better be prepared to do it when it comes time. Yep. Yep. You have to, you got to follow through on it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Always follow through. So don't, don't pick a battle that you're not willing to wholeheartedly fight, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and, you know, I'm glad you brought up the power struggle because that's something that should definitely be on our list. Um, is you don't get into power struggles with students in the room. You, you don't win that fight. You don't win that argument. Um, you know, you, the whole, like, I think a lot of teachers, you know, they want to get the last word, right? And that's not always the, that's not always that important, right? It's just like, I would just repeat myself over and over and over, you know, like, Hey, you need to be doing this and they'll be blah, blah, blah. Okay. You need to just do this, do this. You just need to do this. I'm not going to sit and argue with you about it. Okay. I'm not going to fight with you about it. Um, but for the most part, you try to avoid power struggles and, and really picking your battles, I think is important as well. Um, you know, if you're <laughs> having a battle about, uh, you know, something really, really small or petty may not be worth it. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe something that you can, you can just kind of overlook or whatever for currently. So now I will say this, and this is something I do agree with though. Is a, and this is coming from a, a teacher that I work with, and it's, uh, I have a lot of respect for. You know, he says that when you focus on the little things, the big things don't happen. And I agree with that a lot. Uh, to, you know, when you have, for example, a no hood policy in your room or your school or whatever, like students can't wear hoods, right? Um, if you ignore the hoods, then other things will start to follow. But if you're just, if they come in, you're like, hey, everyone, hood's off, right? You take your yeah, hey, take your hood off. You, you, can't, you can't wear a hood. Like, if you focus on those small things, then a lot of times the big things don't happen as long as you take care of those small things. Um, I do agree with that to a degree. What do you think? Hmm. That's an interesting, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my head around that one. I mean, I, I agree 
uh, that, you know, you, if you focus on the smaller things, they realize, like you said before, like they mean business. We're not going to test it. Um, so I could see that, that argument was it sets a tone right for the room. Yeah. Yeah. In that there are expectations here, right? You, 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 the rule is no hoods and I will tell them, you know, personally, I, I I don't care if it, if it were me and it was my decision, then the hood is, it is what it is, right? I wouldn't, I wouldn't care that much, but that if that's the rule, that's the rule. You can't wear a hood, right? So I think that making sure that you, it really boils down to students understanding that in this classroom, there is a professional environment and there are expectations, Mm -hmm. right? And I think that's something that that we have to always consider. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree. I agree on. Now that I've wrapped my mind around it, yeah, focusing on the small things definitely. Um, now, I will say, and I'm going to kind of stick with what I said a second ago. I have had kids who came in the past, and when I said pick my battles, and and I have a kid who maybe they've got a hood up, they don't normally have a hood up, maybe. Something, something's a little odd about that kid's day, right? Maybe they've got a bad headache or a migraine or something like I'm, I'm still human, right? I'm still, I may pull that kid aside in, in a little bit and be like, Hey man, you don't, are you good? And they'll be like, oh yeah, my head's killing me, whatever. I may not be like, Hey, well, got to take that hood off and get your head up and get to work. I'm, I'll, I may say, Hey man, listen, I get it. Just try to get, just do, give me a little something, right? Try to, you know, get try to work on the first question there just a little bit. Dude, give me, just do the best you can, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not picking a battle. I'm not fighting with them about it because, you know, we're human, right? Um, and and I have kids that, to be honest, they, they'll wear their hood. It's a way, it's a sense of protection for them. They they don't, it's a, they have anxiety. They don't like being seen, right? And I know those students, uh, and I see them, and and that's that's a question that I have to answer sometimes. Now you have to, you fight the battle of in between making sure that oh well if you do it for one you have to do it for everyone else versus being empathetic and being human, right? Um, so I think it's something that we always have to. It's a it's a battle that we're always fighting as teachers mm-hmm. for sure. I agree. All right. I think we have done it. We have made it through our things. Honestly, as we went through this, there were so many other things that came to mind that we could have discussed that I'm like, man, I should have put that on my list and had a conversation about that. But those will be things for future John and Wes conversations. So that'll do it for today. Uh, Next time we're having a conversation about chat GPT. That's going to be the next topic of conversation for episode two. And we will see everyone next time. Thank you guys for listening and have a good day.